It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 844, the 14th of July, 2023. This week, Microsoft 365 might be the best office suite for you. Or maybe Google's offerings would be better. Or perhaps you don't need a suite at all. Let's ponder that. In short circuits, correspondence today heavily favors email and text messages, but sometimes you might need to send a real paper letter in an envelope using the U.S. Postal Service. You can, even if you don't have a printer, an envelope, or a stamp, and without leaving your house. Formulas can save time for spreadsheet users, but often the time savings is minimal. The primary benefits are better accuracy and reliability. And to increase comprehension, don't neglect conditional formatting. And 20 years ago, only on the website, digital cameras from 2003 often had noticeable delays between when the user pressed the shutter release and when the camera captured an image digital SLRs began to eliminate that. Although WordStar was a key player in the early days of personal computers, it was defeated by the more robust WordPerfect in the mid-1980s, and it's been Microsoft's market since about 2000. Change may be coming. Microsoft Office, now called Microsoft 365, owns the Office suite market, at least for now. Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Access have enjoyed a 20-year run at the top, and it's unlikely that writers and editors will abandon Microsoft 365 anytime soon. The same is true for enterprises because inertia is hard to resist. Home and small business users might be harder for Microsoft to retain. As large corporations began to install computers, an adage emerged. Nobody ever gets fired for buying IBM. That was true, even though some people should have been fired for buying IBM. Even in those early days, there was competition. Honeywell, Burroughs, NCR, Remington Rand, and others produced computers that would have been better fits for some applications in some industries. IBM had mastered the FUD factor, though. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Microsoft is in nearly the same position today, and the new adage could be, nobody ever gets fired for buying Microsoft. Microsoft offers systems management tools that can be used by less experienced IT professionals. Linux and Unix systems are more customizable, but they require considerably more knowledge by those doing the customizing. That's not to demean the talents of those who manage Microsoft systems, but only to acknowledge that not all members of the IT team need the same knowledge, experience, and pay grade. Any system that is tied to Microsoft Windows will almost certainly use Microsoft 365's Office Suite. But home users, small businesses, and home offices could easily convert to one of the other Office Suites. Might WordPerfect be the once and future king? Uh, doubtful. Perhaps OpenOffice or LibreOffice? Also unlikely, despite powerful features and free availability. 
Microsoft 365 is actually a compelling bargain. Businesses pay $6 to $22 per month per user, and home users get an even better deal, $100 per year for two to six family members, or $70 a year for a single user. But not everybody needs the full office suite. Those who need just a word processor could choose Google Docs or even the free online version of Microsoft 365. Some features of the full version will be missing, but the free applications are adequate for a lot of people. I wrote this podcast in Word, and I stored the file on the local computer for later use in Adobe Dreamweaver. But I could just as easily have written it in any other word processor, a text editor, or one of the online services. I could have stored the document on Google Drive or Microsoft OneDrive. Online storage does offer the advantage of making documents available to my other computers, tablets, and even my phone. In 1982, I was the advertising, marketing, PR, graphics person for a company that provided time-sharing services on their Digital Equipment Corporation PDP-1170 computers. Customers connected to those computers using dumb terminals, phone lines, and 300 or 1200 baud modems. Some of the larger customers had their own PDP-1170 or PDP-1134 computers on-site. I saw desktop computers as the future, and I told the owner that we should investigate PCs that could run their own applications and connect to remote computers with terminal emulation software. Well, that resulted in changing my title to the Advertising Marketing PR Graphics PC Guy. Dumb terminals were replaced with desktop computers that could act as dumb terminals and also had applications that could use data from the accounting system. Now it seems like a rerun of the 1980s as we start connecting absurdly powerful personal computers to online services. There are a lot of differences. The connection speed, for example. Instead of being slow enough that users could read faster than the characters would appear on the screen, is now fast enough to download a document that will take an hour to read in just one or two seconds. So we have choices. Lots of choices. Free open source applications, free proprietary applications, paid proprietary applications, and even some paid open source applications. Some occupations all but require Microsoft applications. Editors, for example. Although other applications can read and write files in Microsoft Word format, the conversions are sometimes less than perfect. Anyone who is being paid to work on files that will be used by others probably should stick with Microsoft. There are other reasons to consider Microsoft. The Office suite includes features that other suites don't. Outlook, OneNote, Publisher, Lens, and Microsoft To-Do. OpenOffice and LibreOffice have a database manager like Access, but Corel's WordPerfect Office suite includes Paradox only in the much pricier Pro version. Assuming the word processor, spreadsheet, and presentation applications all generally get the basics right, and they do, do the extras have any value? I've never been a fan of Microsoft's email client, Outlook, but it is the standard for enterprises. My preference is Thunderbird, even though it doesn't integrate as well as Outlook does with the other suite applications. 
Microsoft OneNote is another good reason to consider Microsoft 365. None of the other suites has anything that corresponds to OneNote. Evernote is available in free and paid versions, but OneNote simply works better for most people. And there's Microsoft Publisher. It's certainly not a replacement for Adobe InDesign, but it is capable of handling simple newsletters and internal documents. No matter which you choose, the cost is likely to be lower than what you paid 20 or 30 years ago for a series of individual programs. The value of $100 in 1982 equates to about $315 today. Many of today's paid applications use the subscription model, so the Microsoft Office suite will cost about $1,000 over a decade. You have to decide whether the value is worth the cost. Installed on five computers, that would be $20 per year per computer. Some people are still using the DOS version of WordPerfect 5.1, which was released in 1989, on their Windows 11 computers. It was priced at $295, the equivalent of $723 today. Would we be happy driving a 1989 Buick Century sedan? Or maybe a better comparison would be a 1989 Mercedes-Benz S-Class 300 SE sedan. Well, anyway, no matter how good these automobiles were in 1989, they would now be 34 years old, and a lot of features would be absent. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, in the old days, we sent letters to friends and family. Then computers came along and people stopped writing letters. Email was faster and free. Now you can use your computer to send a letter. You don't need to buy paper, envelopes, and stamps. Just create the document on your computer, upload it to LetterStream, provide an address, and your letter will be on its way, either via the U.S. Postal Service or Federal Express. The U.S. Postal Service letters cost $1.08 each for one page, $0.12 for additional pages. Full-color pages add $0.32 each. If you want to send a certified letter, that adds $6.93. For mailing lists, primarily something enterprises would use, it'll cost $19.95 plus half a cent per address to get the list cleaned and standardized. And you can also send postcards for $0.73 each. Accounts are free, which is useful for individual users. Those with mailing lists exceeding 25 addresses will need to spend at least $99 a month and pay a $5 monthly access fee. But these accounts also receive some volume discounts. Those who need to send messages via FedEx, well, that's going to cost you $27.95 per envelope, 
plus additional per-page fees for the contents. Now, maybe that sounds pricey, but consider this. If you need to send a real letter, you have to print the letter, put it in an envelope, and take the envelope to the postbox. So your cost, including gasoline, would probably be more than $1.08. When you need to send a physical letter, that might be a workable option. One of my general rules states that any repetitive action should be automated, even if automating the process saves less than a second. That's because it can also improve accuracy. I have a spreadsheet I use to track my blood pressure, pulse rate, temperature, and blood oxygen level. This predated my encounter with a spinal surgeon last September, but it has become a bit more important since then. The spreadsheet is in Google Sheets because it makes it very easy to share with my doctor, but the same process would work in Excel, OpenOffice, LibreOffice, and most any other spreadsheet. Eleven columns display the day name, time, date, current day's blood pressure and pulse readings, a seven-day average of blood pressure and pulse readings, and the current day's temperature and blood oxygen level. I had been using a macro to enter the date each day using Macro Express. Two periods followed by DFD entered the date as a four-digit year, a hyphen, two-digit month, a hyphen, and a two-digit day. For example, 2023-07-02. Formatting in the spreadsheet modified that to appear as a two-digit day, a hyphen, the month abbreviation, a hyphen, and the two-digit year. For example, 02-JUL-23. The day name column calculated its value from the date column using is blank to suppress the entry if there was no date present in the date column, and then it used the DDD format indicator to display the name as a three-character abbreviation, MON for Monday, for example. I also use a nested if function, which you'll see described on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Using a macro to enter the date took less than half a second, and the process was dependably accurate because the value depended on the system clock. So what advantage might I gain by creating a formula to enter the date automatically each day? Okay, so clearly there isn't any, but that's never stopped me before, so I set out to create such a formula. The first date, the one at the top of the column, needs to be entered manually and each subsequent cell in the column needs a formula to enter the next day. So the easiest formula would simply be to add one to the previous cell and enter that. But that's not what I wanted because that would fill out values all the way down the spreadsheet, and I wanted it to be blank until the date had arrived. So that led me to using nested ifs. And in plain English, here's what the formula does. It asks, is today greater than the date in the cell directly above where I am? If yes, then it wants to know, is the cell above blank? If that's yes, then we display a blank. But if it's not, then we display the date in the cell above plus one. So the result is a spreadsheet with dates in the date column only on or after a day has arrived. 
And while we're in the vicinity, maybe this would be a good time to talk about how information can transcend numbers with clear formatting. Blood oxygen levels are formatted so that they are green if the values are over 95, yellow between 90 and 94, that's considered acceptable, pink for values between 80 and 89, this is an area where oxygen might reasonably be considered, and red for values under 80, that's when you're in an emergency situation. There are also four categories used for blood pressure readings. Systolic blood pressure readings under 130 are good, so they are shown in green. Systolic blood readings between 130 and 129.9 get a yellow background. It's above normal, but still okay. Systolic blood pressure readings between 130 and 139.9 have a pink background, indicating elevated. And systolic blood pressure readings 140 and higher have a red background, indicating high. Similar formatting is also used for diastolic readings. Formulas and conditional formatting are just two of the basic functions easily within reach of all spreadsheet users, and they can make a document easier to use and easier to understand. No formulas or special formatting are needed for 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. However, in 2003, photographers were still dealing with digital cameras that captured images a fraction of a second after the user pressed the shutter release. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>